familiar with the phrase that says, actions speak louder than words. You've heard that, right? You know, it's something that we find ourselves saying when someone says one thing and their actions don't validate what they say. Maybe something like this. And we're going somewhere with this word for the book of James. Maybe your child gets their report card home. Do they still actually get report cards? Like pieces of paper? No, some I'm saying yes and no. Depends where you go, I guess. So you get a report card. I'm seeing, seeing teachers back there going, yep, we go report cards still. And so some of you get it online or whatever. But you're, they get their report card home. And you look, and your child, and you know their abilities, their, what their past history says, you know, there are A's and B's, and you get the report cards, and it's C's and D's. And you take a little junior, and you set them down, and you might, your little junior might actually be bigger than you, than high school. And you say to junior, what in the world's going on with you? And they swear. Dad, Mom, I'm trying as hard as I can. You don't know. My teachers are mean. The world's against me. You know? And then you start thinking about it. All the conversations you've had in that last semester with your child when you come home and they're there and they're playing video games. And you're going, is your homework done? Yeah, 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 it's all done. Don't bother me. It's all done. I'm going to miss my game. What's the game now that you're on an island with a bunch of people and you can't stop the game? You know, so, well, i got to get done and it takes you forever. I've never played it. Don't want to play it. Um, but anyways, they're playing games. And they say they're trying hard, but you've been around, you've been watching, and their actions say that when I should have been doing homework, I'm actually playing a video game. And their actions are speaking louder than their words. Their actions say, I'm trying hard, their, word, their, their words are saying, I'm trying hard. Their actions are saying, um, no, really, what's more important to me is doing playing video games or something else um, other than my homework. Or you say, okay, pick on the kids. How about something more like this? You say to your children or you say to your spouse, you know, time with you is really important. Matter of fact, in the priorities of my life, it's God and then my family. And everything else comes down. And, that's, and then you say that. You probably think it, but you say, you really say that. And then you say, you know what? You're talking about how important family is, and you say, this Friday night, we are going out on the town. We're going to have pizza. We're going to come home. We're going to play some games. We're going to turn the TV off. We're going to play, what was the game we played a while ago with the little plunger thing? Trouble? We're going to play Trouble? I won Trouble, by the way. Um, we're going to play Trouble. We're going to do this stuff. We're going to, we're going to have fun. Friday night rolls around, you forget. And instead you make a commitment, you go somewhere else with someone else, or you just do something else, and your actions say one thing that don't line up with what your words say. Your actions are speaking louder than your words. Well, this is the idea that James has in mind as he writes the verses that we're going to look at today. He's talking about actions and words not lining up, or the fact that they need to line up, and that our actions should actually validate our words, and that our actions can actually betray us, we can say one thing and our actions say something else about us. So grab your Bible, open up to James chapter 3. James chapter 3, verses 13 to 18. I'm actually going to read this out of the New Living Translation. This is what it says, James chapter 3, 13 to 18. If you are wise and understand God's ways, isn't that what you all want to say about us, ourselves, in church? 
We're Christians, we follow Jesus, we're wise, and we understand God's ways. He's an if first. If you are wise and understand God's ways, prove it by living an honorable life, doing good works with the humility that comes from wisdom. But if you are bitterly jealous and there is selfish ambition in your heart, don't cover up the truth with boasting and lying. For jealousy and selfishness are not God's kind of wisdom. Such things are earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. For wherever there is jealousy and selfish ambition, there you will find disorder and and, and evil of every kind. But the wisdom from above is first of all pure, it is also peace-loving, gentle at all times, and willing to yield to others. It is full of mercy and the fruit of good deeds. It shows no favoritism and is always sincere, and those who are peacemakers will plant seeds of peace and reap a harvest of righteousness. Look at that main, this whole, these two paragraphs are tied, tied to or supporting the first sentence there. Look at that first sentence. If you say you are wise and understand God's ways, what's it say here? Prove it. Prove it by living an honorable life. Let your actions confirm what you say is true. Now, we know something from the context that we've been looking with, dealing with in the last couple of weeks that we're going through James. James was writing this for a particular reason to a particular group of people. Remember a couple of weeks ago that we looked at James had written to a group of people in the church that wanted to be teachers. They wanted to be the people who stood in front and taught or sat down. Their rabbis actually sat and taught. They sat down and everybody sat around and listened to them. Because in their culture... A teacher was the highest position that one could hold. So there was a lot of people that wanted that position because with that position came honor. With that position came prestige. People actually followed them and listened to them and obeyed them. And they were elevated. They got special seats when they sat certain places. Got to got to be honored when they went places. And so there's a lot of people who said, I want that. And as we learned a couple weeks ago, James wanted them, uh, was warning them, those people who wanted to be teachers, that they could be, there could be some false motives there. Their motives could be because they wanted to be elevated, not because they wanted to teach, and that they could do it, they could aspire to be a teacher for a wrong reason, wrong motives. And the, the reason they, that was so, so, he was warning them and it was so dangerous is because they could aspire to be a teacher with wrong motives, to be honored, and the person in that position as a teacher, he said, had this incredible responsibility because as a teacher, they have a lot of influence over people. And not only could they, if they were a good teacher, cause a lot of good, but if they were a bad teacher who did it for bad motives, they could cause a lot of problems with the words that they spoke to the people that they were teaching. It's with this group of people in mind, these teachers, that these wannabe teachers, that James writes about wisdom here in this section. Writing that if you think you are wise, or wise enough to want to be a teacher of spiritual truth, then your actions should prove it. Your life should be marked, he says here, by what? By good works and a humble spirit. It should not be marked by selfish ambition that pushes you to get a title or a position um, for selfish or self-serving reasons. Their actions need to speak louder than their words, or at least their actions need to speak the same thing as their words. James wants those who are going to teach others spiritual truth in particular to live by the by by what they teach 
to live by godly wisdom and then, and then teach godly wisdom, not to um, say they live by godly wisdom, but actually live from wisdom of this world um, and then mess people up. Now, you could say this. Okay, Pastor Mark, but what in the world does that have to do with us? Especially if you're sitting here and you say, I don't aspire to be a, a high-level teacher in the church. I don't aspire to have a TV show. I don't aspire to be on the radio. I don't aspire to stand in the pulpit. Matter of fact, you couldn't pay me enough to come up in front of all these people and talk on a Sunday morning. You say, I don't aspire that else. So what's it have to do with me? Well, the need, friends, to live by godly wisdom, to live a life where godly actions validate our godly message, is just as important for every one of us as it was for any one of them because our actions will prove if we're living by godly wisdom or not. And we each have the very same possibility in our own lives as those teachers did or wannabe teachers did. We can say that we know and live by godly wisdom and prove it by our actions. And as a result, we can experience the good and beautiful life that God has for people who live according to his wisdom. And then if we do that, we will positively influence other people around us. We can do that. Or any one of us, We can say that we know and live by godly wisdom. We say, oh, I live by God's word, and and I'm a why. I've been in church for a long time. But not prove it or validate it by the actions that we do, by the lives that we speak. And as a result, James will show us in a minute, that we won't live by the kind of good life that he wants, a life of joy, a life of peace, a life of contentment. Um, So we won't have the life we're supposed to have, and we will negatively influence other people around us. Because listen, friends, um, even if we don't hold a position or a title that says teacher or leader or pastor, here's the reality. All of us influence other people all the time. People are always watching, especially if you say you're a follower of Jesus. I said a situation this last week dealing with a man um, who is having, he, w- he went to a situ- into a situation where um, he had always gone to before, but now some of these people that he went to spend time with understood that now um, they call him, he's a, he's a Bible thumper now. And uh, they gave him a terribly hard time. He goes, why would they do that? Well, here's the deal. People are always watching you. Even if you don't claim anything, if you say you're a believer in Jesus Christ, people are always watching you. And what you say needs to be validated by what you do. Because if you don't, our lives can actually cause harm instead of cause good things in other people's lives. And we don't live the life that God intends for us to live. So James is here helping us distinguish between godly wisdom um, and a godly lifestyle and ungodly wisdom. Why? So we can make the best choice in our lives, best choices, and have the best outcomes. So let's think about what he says, what he's talking about here when he talks about godly Wisdom. See, godly wisdom is not simply the accumulation of facts and figures. There's a lot of really smart people who know a lot of stuff. That's not wisdom. That's knowledge. You can have a lot of knowledge. You can know a lot of stuff about stuff. But knowing a lot about something does not mean a person is wise. And I imagine with Paul here, those wannabe teachers probably thought they were wise because they had a lot of knowledge. They knew a lot of stuff, but he's saying it's not necessarily true. You're not necessarily Wise, And James teaches throughout this entire letter of James that godly wisdom 
is seeing life um, from God's perspective, seeing how does God look at life, and then living our lives according to God's point of view. It's living according to the limitless perspective of God, rather than our own limited perspective. That's what wisdom is all about. Wisdom is knowing that this, it's knowing that God is, is supreme, that God is supreme knowledge. Not that God just has knowledge, God is supreme knowledge, so we do what he tells us to do because we are absolutely convinced that we can trust him because he is correct, always correct. Wisdom is believing that God's way is always best. Now here's the reality. Um, you don't have to be that smart to be wise. Here's what I mean. If you simply know what God says about life and you live according to his perspectives, you're living by the, by the unlimited, limitless wisdom of the creator of the cosmos and the universe and he's going to help you live your life. So if you get God's point of view on your life, you're not living by your limitless limitedness. You're living by God's limitlessness. That's what wisdom is all about. And James says the way that we know if we are living according to God's knowledge is he's way, we prove if we really are wise and have, we're taking things God's way is by the attitudes and the actions that we display. He's tying together our words and our actions. He's saying that there is a way to see if we really do believe that God's way is the right way. We say, if we really do believe that we say, God's limitless, God has all the answers. There's a way to see if that's true. That, and it's this, he says, the actions that we display will reveal the truth about what we believe. Let me unpack this and what James says here, that you can understand his reasoning, how he says that's true. Notice with me from our text, the central themes associated with the two types of wisdom that he outlines. Remember, he's saying this. The first 13 saying, if you're wise, show up by your good behavior, and then the rest of it's just kind of giving information to show how, that's, how you understand that's true or not. So notice with me from our text, the central themes associated with the two types of wisdom. Let's start with godly wisdom. Verses 13, verses 17, and verses 18 deal with godly wisdom. So let's look at those. But, but among you, who among you is wise and understanding? Let him show by his good behavior his deeds in gentleness. And pay attention to these words, descriptive words. Gentleness of wisdom. Verse 17. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceful, gentle, reasonable, full of mercy, and with good fruits, unwavering without hypocrisy, and the seed whose fruit is righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. The theme of person of, who functions in godly wisdom, he kind of describes this as a place, a person of gentleness, of peacefulness, of humility. As we read the text, we get this feeling that the one who operates by godly wisdom will be a person who displays kindness, gentleness, and peacefulness in their life. That attitude coincides with godly wisdom, and then the good deeds of a good life will follow. But now let's look at ungodly wisdom, verses 14, 15, and 16. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your heart, do not be arrogant and lie against the truth. This wisdom 
is not from is not that which comes down from above, but is earthly, natural, and demonic. For wherever jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there is disorder and every evil thing. Look at ungodly wisdom. It says ungodly wisdom breeds what? It breeds strife. It breeds contention. It breeds arrogance. It breeds disorder. It breeds envy. An attitude of ungodly wisdom will result in division and envy and evil. And he actually says this. It's actually even demonically inspired is what he says. It's demonic. And he says it's driven by what? He said it's driven by jealousy and selfish ambition. Now why is this? Why the connection between godly wisdom and peace and ungodly wisdom and strife? Now, if you can get this today, I honestly believe, if you, if you don't get this yet, and you get this now, it'll honestly change how you live your lives. What's, why the difference? It comes down to who is at the center of your universe. Now, by you, I'm not talking about astronomy here. Who's at the center of your universe? By universe, I mean your life. All your relationships and all your interactions. This universe that makes up the existence of Mark. This universe that makes up the existence of John. The universe that makes up the existence of of Suzanne. Who's at the center of your universe? Who's at the center? Is, Is God at the center? Or are you at the center? Are you self centered? Or are you God centered? You're going to understand in a minute, this is what wisdom's all about. Are you God centered? Or are you self centered? Do you tend to say this? Well, I think da 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 da. Or do you tend to say, God says, da-da-da-da-da-da? That reveals a big difference in your approach to life. The person who is marked by godly wisdom, he's saying is God-centered. That's the very nature of godly wisdom. If you want to define godly wisdom, godly wisdom is simply being God-centered. Knowing that God is supreme, that God is supreme knowledge, And therefore, because you understand God really is that, willingly following his lead and his teachings. Because you say, he knows best, he's always right, I'm always going to make sure I follow what he says, because that's he's in the center, he's the the right one, that's what godly wisdom is all about. It's being God-centered. If you believe that God is the greatest, and you are not, and God is always right, and you could actually be wrong, or just secular worldly wisdom could be wrong, then God will be at the center of your universe. You will ultimately then rely on him and not rely on yourself. You will know that you can trust him. So what do you do? You rest in his care. Because I know he's always right, because he's the center of my life, then I know I can trust him and I can rest in his care. And that will, you know what that will result in? It will cause me to be at Peace, even if times get tough. Because God's I know I can trust him. I can rest in his care. It will cause me to live at peace even in hard times. Boy, it sounds like the description of what James says goes with godly wisdom. And friends, it will move you to be gentle and humble towards other people. You say, why? What's the connection? The connection is this. You'll be gentle and humble towards other people if God's the center of the universe and you're living according to his ways, because you ultimately then have nothing to prove. What is almost all our conflicts about? I'm right, you're wrong. 
But if you live this way, you have nothing to prove because you take no real credit for the good things that God does through you. How often is the problems that we have, he's talking about selfish ambition on the ungodly side, because I'm trying to prove I'm better. I'm trying to prove myself to the world. I live in insecurity, and the world's great at making us insecure. And so i got to prove myself to everybody. What's that really saying? It's saying, God's not really the center. I'm the center. But if you live with God as your center, you live according to what he, a belief that he's always right, then you have nothing to prove because you take no real credit for the good things that God does through you. And if others disagree with you, they're not really disagreeing with you. They're just issues between them and God because you're just doing what God told you to do. It's not between you and them. It's between them and God. So you have no need then to fight. You have no need to defend yourself. You have no need to push others down in order to lift yourself up. All those things that divine ungodly wisdom... You have no need for any of that if God's honestly, really, the center of your universe and your actions prove it because the actions are the result of having this restful relationship with God as your core. And so it's a natural result. It all flows from God being the center of your universe and it flows in godly wisdom in our life, which is displayed, according to James, by this peaceful, humble, loving kind of life. Does that make sense? That's a connection. But look at the other side of the coin here. If we are self-centered, then everything we do, everything we accomplish, is based on me. Everything I do is based on Mark. If I accomplish something in business, it's because Mark was smart enough to do it, or Mark had the idea, or Mark worked hard. If I accomplish something whatever, it's based on my abilities, my perspectives, my insights, my hard work. Sounds like America defined right there, rugged individualism. Me, me, me. What I was going to do is I was going to play a song, a country song for us at this point. I actually looked it up on YouTube, but at the the beginning it didn't make sense. But it's a country song. It says about about me. I want to be the song. What's how does it even go? I was about, it's about I, I want to talk about me. It's about this guy whose girlfriend never shuts up talking about herself. And that's why I didn't, I was like, oh, that doesn't work with it. But I remember the song. It's like, I want to be me, 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 you know? And I think that's what, that's what the world is like. Everything is based upon my abilities, your abilities, your perspectives, your insights, your hard work. Well, the self-centered person, that's being self-centered, who operates by his perspectives, and his wisdom, and not God's, has to do something. That person has, has a need to prove themselves, has a need to defend themselves, because it's their position. It's their idea. And they have to defend that, and they have to push it, and they have to advance. And so they just need to defend their position when challenged, and to do whatever it takes to say to protect themselves and get ahead and say, my way is the right way. Well, this self-defensiveness, what's it lead to? James tells us here. It leads to envy. It leads to strife. It leads to conflict. Just the opposite of the peace and the gentleness that comes from godly wisdom um, of a God-centered life. Can we see the difference between these two? James can't look inside of us and see who is at the core of our universe. He can't look inside and say, oh, I can see the center of Mark's universe is really God. You know, I say it is. 
We all say it is, but I, I, can't, I can't rip your chest open and look inside and see who's the center of your universe. But he can help us to see the attitudes and the actions that result from whoever is really at the center so that we can see for ourselves who's at the center of our universe. Do I really live in peace? Or do I really live in incredible anxiety of trying to prove and defend? Of trying to, of trying to you know, I feel insecure and I have to make, because it's all based on me. He's saying here, my actions and attitudes will, re- will reveal what's really going on the inside. And what's the reason, friends, that God would inspire James to write this to the church? Was it so that James could criticize and condemn people in the church? Oh, you're just a bunch of rotten, no good people. See, the results of your life prove that you really don't have, God's not really the center, the core of your life. Never. That never be God, the Holy Spirit's intention of inspiring something from the Word. Rather, He wants us to be able to examine the fruit of our lives and to see what it reveals. Is my life, your life, is it filled with strife? Is it filled with jealousy? Because that's a lot of what he talks about here. Jealousy is one person trying to outdo another person. It's interesting that that's what he points to here. Because it's saying, I'm really in control. It's really about me, 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 me. I want to talk about me. That's what it's about. Is my life filled with strife and jealousy and arguing and defending? Friends, that's not a fun way to live. It's not a fun way to live. What a way to make your own life miserable and the lives of other people around you miserable as well. I've told you this before because I've been on this journey for a long time of trying to figure this thing out because most of my life I was taught to be where it's all about me. Never thought it was supposed to be selfish, but it was about no one else is going to give you a break in this road. You better take care of yourself. And that's the way we're taught. That's why I got a little post-it note on my desk. Might not mean a whole lot to anybody else, but I look at it all the time. It says, it's more fun to be happy than mad. Make the best choice. It's right there, right there on my desk. And when the, when the, when the ink wears out, it's been so long, I write over the top of it when it fades. It's more fun to be happy than mad. Make the best choice. It's all about choice about who's, on, who's in the center. It's what it comes down to. It really is the whole choice. It's not about saying, oh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do yoga. I can't even get in the yoga position to do it. <laughs> you know, I would do that if I could. And, um, it's not about, I'm not saying you can't find peacefulness in certain tools and techniques. You can. But ultimately, that's not about that. It doesn't work. It's not about trying to, if I spend enough time by the beautiful side of Lake Michigan looking at the waves, I'll be at peace. No, you won't. The waves will remind you that you have more work to do again tomorrow. The waves are going to remind you, oh my goodness, it never stops. I've got to keep going. The waves will remind you of something. Friends, here's the reality. It's more fun to be happy than mad in this life. So what's the cure? Having Jesus at the center of your universe. The answer for living a life of peace and joy and mercy um, of good deeds, of not being competitive, of not having to prove yourself, is found in putting the universe back in its proper order. Putting the universe back the way it's supposed to be. It flows from allowing God to be, the God, to be God 
and giving up the need to try to do his job for yourself. He created the universe to be a place where he rules and he reigns and he cares for each of us, where he is God and his ultimate responsibility and as his child dwelling in his kingdom, I'm to be his follower. I'm to be his child. He's God and I'm not. Living in that relationship is where peace and security are found. Friends, that's living by godly wisdom. He's God, ruler of his kingdom, and I'm a follower. That's living in the kingdom of God. That's living by divine wisdom. That's how we live the good and beautiful life that God desires for us. It's putting the universe back in the right order. It all starts, friends, by allowing God to be the God that he really is. Here's the deal. We can buck it. We can fight it. We can say, I'm my own God. But ultimately, he's God. And he's going to say, Mark, go ahead. Run your head into that brick pillar a few more times. You'll learn. If you scratch your head for a hundredth time and you go, life's no fun this way. You'll get out a notepad and you'll write, life is more fun when you're happy than when you're mad. Make the best choice. You're going to plop it on the desk somewhere in your life. And you're going to say, you know what? I want to put the universe back in the right order. The world taught me that the way I put my universe in the right order is I put myself up here and I'm going to prove myself. God says, you know what? No, Mark, you're hidden with Christ and God when you're his child. And you can rest in his care and his concern. Put the universe back in the right order. Let God be God. And we live under the umbrella of his protection, of his love in his kingdom and we do, you know what, and what he, and doesn't mean we don't do scary big things that are beyond us. Doesn't mean we live this life of, of just tranquility and never have any stress. Doesn't mean that at all. Because guess what? When you live under the umbrella of God's, of God's protection in his kingdom, a lot of times he says to you, and guess what? I'm going to go do this over here. I'm doing this. Come and join me. And it means leaving your comfort. It means leaving your security. But you live always under the protection of his, of his presence. So you live in his grace and in his love and his protection and you can know it you can rely on it so that when things go away or astray it's not because you did something wrong it's just because it's just the way it is God knows what he's doing and he must have a plan and that's okay and you rest in peace in that situation it all starts by allowing him to be the God that he really is allowing him to be the the Lord and God of your life and your leader and then resting within his care and following his lead because godly wisdom is simply about doing it his way. That's why he can say, if you do it God's way, it results in peace. If you do it your own way, it results in strife because you got the universe out of whack. So you know what salvation really is? We, people say people got saved. You know what that really is? It's simply putting the universe back in the right way. But here's what I know. When I come to Christ, I put the universe back in the right order. I say, God really is king. God really is the center. And I'm going to come under his leadership. That's coming to Christ. God, I need you. I need my sins forgiven. I need you to make me whole and right. Bring me into your family. Bring me into your... I come under God's loving, caring grace. But here's what I know. The natural flow of life does this to me all the time. Pulls me up in a way and says, but really... I want to do it my way. 
Whether it's, um, it's, it's intentional or it's unintentional, it tends to happen. So what I have to constantly do in my life is I have to constantly put the universe back in order. I've got to constantly dethrone myself and re-enthrone God. And so the question that we ask ourselves based on what James says is, do we like what we see when we look at our attitudes and actions, the fruit of what's inside when we see it? When we look in the mirror of our life and we see the reflection and we see the reality of ourselves, if we're constantly filled with turmoil, constantly filled with unrest, constantly filled with jealousy, constantly filled with striving, do we like that? Do we see that we're driven by ambition and jealousy? And listen, doesn't mean you can't have big plans, but you've got to ask yourself, are they God's plans? Here's one of the lies the world tells us. Well, set your five-year goal and your 10-year goal, and, and you know what, set your goals out there so that you're going to make this much money by that time and that much money, your company's going to do this, or your, your career's going to be at that. You know what? James, in a little while, is going to speak exactly to that. He's going to say, he, said, he actually says, he says, sin to say such a thing. He says, who are you to say I'm going to do this for a year and go there and do that? He says, you say this, if the Lord wills, I'll do this. If the Lord wills, I'll do that. Doesn't mean God won't be in your corner and be saying, when you're living in this right situation, and God's going to go, you know what? I want to bless my world, and I'm going to bless my world. Matter of fact, I'm going to, I'm going to give you an idea to make the greatest company that Ozaki County's ever seen, because I want to have a great company that's going to employ thousands of people with really good jobs and give them a great life, and I'm going to use you in that situation to not only bring good people good jobs, but for you to be a godly spiritual person that people are going to learn that, you know what, I can be a success in the world's eyes even and walk with Jesus. God may well give you that great vision, but it's his vision. Not the thing that says, I'm going to prove the whole world's wrong. I'm going to prove that I'm right. And I'm going to, I'm going to just accomplish all this so, that, so that, that I rise to the top of the heap. Because here's the deal. Eventually, you're going to learn you won't have all the answers, no matter what we are, who we are, how smart we are. So what happens? We put the universe, come to Christ, put the universe in the right order. Then... As you find yourself doing this thing, you just come back and you say, God, you know what? You're number one. You're supreme. I want to live under your rule and reign. I'm going to sit with you for a while, Jesus. I'm going to sit in silence in your presence. I'm going to allow your word to speak to me. I'm going to understand. I'm going to remember that, God, this is what I want. You to be ruler. You to be king. You to be God. I want to live by your wisdom. You know what? James says if we do that, our lives are marked by peace. So if your life is marked by jealousy and ambition and striving, James would say, take another look and ask yourself, what, what order is the universe in? The deal is, friends, peace and mercy, those are the things that we're supposed to mark our lives. Are we going to get it completely right this side of, of eternity? I don't think so. But I want to get better. I want to get better. Allowing God to be at the center of the universe is what determines what's true about this. I want to continue, I said a minute ago, to enthrone God in my life and dethrone myself. It's a continual decision. It's a continual best choice. Because what results is the life that's described of joy and peace and goodness, and that's the life we want. Amen? Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, I thank you that you would inspire 
of your half-brother by your spirit, James, to record these words 2,000 years ago. That would be super important for us in this day and age. Maybe no culture, Lord, in the history of your creation has been more ruggedly independent. And Lord, we live in a place of incredible opportunity, so it is very possible to just make our own, have our own ideas and create our own goals and run to those goals hard and, and use the gifts you've given us and accomplish great things. But Lord, in the meantime, stomp people down in the process and be filled with anger and filled with unhappiness and filled with discontentment and filled with jealousy and filled with selfish ambition. It's possible, especially in our culture, because the opportunity is so, so here. But Lord, here's what I know, and I believe this about every person in this place, because they would, not one of us would be here if this wasn't the case. That's not what we want for ourselves. What we want for ourselves, Lord, is lives of, of you being enthroned, you being glorified, you being king, and Lord, you being the one that we look to so that we function not by our own limited wisdom, but by your incredible, limitless wisdom. Lord, that's what we want for our lives. We want lives of of following after you with all of our hearts. And God, I ask this. I ask for this church family today that, that Lord, as we're, as we're little, honestly saying, God, we want to follow you, that you would give us huge dreams on what you want to accomplish through your church. You'd give us huge dreams, God. Things that, are, that we look at and we go, that's not possible. You'd remind us, you're right, it's not. Not for you, but it's possible for God. That, Lord, you would give us these dreams and you'd, you'd show us what you want for us. How we can follow after you, God, and be the, the kind of parents, the kind of grandparents, the kind of neighbors, the kind of employees and employers that bring you great honor and glory and expand your kingdom. And so, Father, we know it all starts with you being on the throne. And so, Lord, as we wrap up our time, would you give us a gift? Give us the gift of an honest evaluation into our own lives. Give us the gift of helping us to see past any defenses we've built up past any delusions that we've allowed to rule in our thinking and help us to see the reality Lord I remember a day driving down the road on highway 60 20 years ago when you spoke to me as if somebody was in the car and you said Mark you've lived your whole life in anger do you want to be angry the rest of your life and I didn't even know I was angry and I realized it was all because of this it was because I was fighting to prove something Because I said you were on the throne, but you really weren't. I was. And Lord, there's those gifts when you help us to tear down some blinders and we see things maybe for the first time about ourselves that are true. And Lord, I don't ask that you'd give us that so we'd feel bad about ourselves. But that, Lord, would be a situation where, where godly sorrow leads to repentance. 
that we see something we go that's not what I want I want to change I want something different Lord help us see ourselves so that Lord we rest in you we trust in you then Lord things can happen that are out of our control we say that's okay because I'm I'm resting right in the in the heart of God's plan for me and I can trust my Father to care for me so Father give us the gift of seeing ourselves honestly and Lord then give us the gift of helping us to trust you to say okay God I've, I'm scared but I'm going to relinquish control of my life to you and Lord, I know that doesn't just mean getting coming to salvation because I think there's a constant, Lord, a, this idea of, of a constant relinquishing over our lives that it's more and more and more trust. And so Lord God, help us today to trust you, to live under the umbrella of your grace and your protection and have it not be about me but about you so that we, though, experience this incredible life of peace and joy because as Paul was or James was saying in this it all had to do with what people were seeing in those who were displaying something the teachers were displaying something it wasn't right well God is your followers we want to display lives of peace and joy so we could influence others to want to follow after prayer this morning their heads bowed and eyes closed I just want to have a private moment this morning maybe you're here and you've never taken the first step in making the Lord the Lord of your life you've never made the taken the first step of seeing your universe put in the right order where God is really the one who who's the creator and the sustainer of life. He's the one who's in control of everything, even if we don't recognize it. And you've never said, God, I want to I want to come into your family. I want to I want to come to be with you and I want to come under your rest and your care. And he says when he does that, what he does to do that is he, he comes and he washes away our past. He he wipes away our sin. He he defeats death in our life, saying, I'll give you eternal life from now to eternity never come to God and said I need you never come to Jesus who is the son of God and said forgive me of my sins and welcome me into your family if you've never done that before so your heads bowed and your eyes closed and you say today is the day I want you to do something just between you and me and the Lord because no one else is looking around I want you to just look me square in the eyes I'm going to start over on my left in the sanctuary right and I'm just going to look through the sanctuary I'm, I want you to look me right in the eye make eye contact with me and say yes I need Jesus in my life people are saying yes okay if you did that today 
I'm going to invite us all to pray together. I'm going to invite the whole congregation to join me in prayer. You pray this from the depths of your heart. There's nothing magic about the words we pray, but it's a, it's a call out to God. So let's call out to God together. If you looked me in the eye, you said, yes, Pastor Mark, it's for me today. Join us as we pray. Dear Jesus, I need you. I'm tired. I'm tired of doing it my way. And I'm ready, God, to come to you. So today, I come to you. And I ask you, Lord, become my leader. Become my Lord. I submit to you. And I ask you, take the garbage out. one with you. And from this day forward, I want to follow you. I'm tired of being the leader. I want to follow you. So on this day, I receive you. that today you're saying yes to the Lord you're saying I'm all in you're saying I want the universe to be in right order friends it's the beginning of a journey you may have said that today saying you know what I started this journey but I realized I got something out of concocted is what I'm trying to say I concocted something that's wrong I put myself in the wrong position I'm putting it back Here's what I know. When we say yes to the Lord, no matter where we're at, we say yes to the Lord. The second we say yes to Him, we're right back exactly in the center of His will. And He loves to take you today, lead you on the path of goodness in His his kingdom. And so don't allow guilt. Don't allow allow yourself to say, you know, why didn't I do this sooner? Why would you say today? Today I'm in the center of God's will. The path I've been on brought me exactly to this point in the fact that as you've said yes to God, He always says yes to you. Amen? Let's stand again. See if I can find something. My brain's failing me. See if I can find it. I'm going to close today with the with the blessing that just popped in my mind, the benediction. Aaron would bless or speak over the priests. Speak this blessing over our church family. From Numbers chapter 6. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift his up his countenance on you and give you. Friends, go in the peace of the Lord. If you would like prayer this morning, I'll be up here to pray with you. Pastor Mitch will be up here to pray with you. Otherwise, walk in the joy of the blessing of the Lord. Walk in the in the contentment of knowing you've got things in the right way. 
because then whatever God asks, we live in peace.